Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Just had a call from my press secretary in London. Apparently it's all over the news. Hello, welcome to Still Watching, a television podcast from Vanity Fair. I'm Hilary Busis. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Chris Murphy. And we're here to discuss the fourth episode of season six, part one of the Netflix series, The Crown. This one's titled Aftermath. Bereavement helplines are overwhelmed. Sensible adults are weeping openly in the streets. Later on, the director of the episode, Christian Schwacho, uh, how's my German, uh, will be stopping. Sehr gut. Okay, oh my God, seal of approval. Uh, he'll be stopping by to talk uh, with me about how we put together the whole Diana arc over the course of 80 shooting days, um, which is like making that's wild. That's a, long, a very long movie. Yeah, yeah that's involved. Yeah. Before we get into any of that, let's do a quick recap. The news makes it back to the royal family that Princess Diana has died in Paris. Your Majesty, Your Royal Highness. I had a call about 15 minutes ago from the embassy in Paris. It's Diana, Princess of Wales. Prince Charles goes to collect her body and on the plane ride back has a heart-to-heart with Diana's ghost. The only thought I've had since the moment I heard is... regret. That will pass. No, it won't. The Queen is under scrutiny for being out of step with the nation's grief. What do people want from me? Attention. And love. Love. And then Diana's back. This time she appears to the queen. You finally succeeded in turning me and this house upside down. That was never my intention. The queen breaks her silence to deliver an address and try to comfort the nation. We have all been trying in our different ways to cope. It is not easy to express a sense of loss, since the initial shock is often succeeded by a mixture of other feelings. Um, so I just want to say up top that Helen Mirren's brilliant in this episode. <laughs> that was Oscar her. award James, winning. James Cromwell as Prince Philip. <laughs> right. uh, Michael Sheen as Tony Blair. No one famous really played Charles, though, in the in the, in the Crown, right? No, that was some, some random. In, in the, the Queen. Queen? You mean in oh, the, the Queen? Queen. Excuse me. The, <laughs> no, everyone is famous on the Crown in the Queen. See, I'm confusing it. Um, <laughs> yeah, as we were talking about in last, the, not last week's episode, but the previous episode of this podcast, Peter Morgan has covered this before, mm. this particular thing, though he, of course, is taking a different angle here by putting Muhammad al-Fayed um, kind of in second position, like in the throughout the whole episode. Uh, and we have ghosts. We do. We, well, we, we do not have ghosts, according to the director of this episode, oh, who, okay. I, who I spoke right, to. Right. Um, it's, it's more of, you know, it's more of a memory of mm-hmm. Diana and Dodie. Uh, those, are, those are the spectral presences that we see in, you know, the show's conception of it. Mm-hmm. But in layman's terms, yes, Diana's ghost <laughs> mm-hmm. and Dodie's ghost do make appearances in this episode very controversially. These are the scenes that the British press has been, you know— tearing their hair out about for weeks um, in the lead up Mm -hmm. to the, yes, they are very, these are the scenes that uh, led, you know, Prince William's rep to say that, you know, he will be disgusted by this show. Is um, that because they think it's really crass to have done that? Did they say ghoulish or they used a word? Yeah, ghoulish. And uh, and I think also they are, the British press has taken 
the fact that during the scene in the hospital when Charles is identifying Diana's mm-hmm. body, you know, he looks down. We don't see anything. Mm-hmm. But Elizabeth Debicki was actually lying on a table during that scene, which is something oh, that so the record so, to look at. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, the, so the British press took that as, you know, we are going to see uh-huh. like Diana's dead body splayed out. Okay, and that doesn't really happen. Like though. X's over her eyes. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so, yeah. you know, the, the famously slow to anger Daily Mail and <laughs> <laughs> the measure. <laughs> Deliberative, <laughs> journalistic. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, so yeah. yes, they've taken yeah. these these things and kind of blown them out into this big like how dare they disgrace her memory, whereas, you know, I'm sure that the Daily Mail was on the front lines of shaming Diana for mm-hmm. everything she did during the last Fully. months of her life, of course. But, yeah, so that's that's sort of the backstory on the controversy that's cropped up around this episode, which mm-hmm. I, I don't think is warranted. I think that the ghost, epi- the ghost moments are... They're cheesy. I don't think they're crass or, like, in bad taste, really. I just think they're kind of silly. I just—yeah, go go ahead. No, I was going to say, if they were less well executed, I could see an argument that they were in poor taste, but they're not very long. Mm -hmm. And they're basically—remember, it's— it's not fiction, but it's a television show, and it's mm-hmm. a way to get closure. Were you saying that Diana's ghost didn't actually <laughs> appear to Prince Charles on, the plane. on his plane? Yeah, um, I guess we'll we'll never know. Um, but I found it to be an effective tool to get into the emotion that uh, existed probably in the aftermath of Diana's death mm-hmm. in a way that, while definitely somewhat cheesy, was emotionally effective. And I will say, um, Dodie, who's played by Khalid Abdallah, and then Elizabeth Debicki, really sold it for me. I thought they did yeah. a really wonderful job and didn't make it like, ooh, spooky, scary. Right. <laughs> right. You, yeah, there were no clanking chains. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> get out of my amusement park. Yeah. Um, but what do you think? I, I, I think that the one thing I had, I, 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 when, when the ghosts appeared, I was like, oh, here we go. And actually, mm-hmm. it's not. It's more, it's kind of measured. They're short scenes. Mm-hmm. I do wonder, though, like, I understand why they did it, but, like, this show has previously painted Diana as this incredible nuisance to Elizabeth and all this stuff. I don't know that she would have invited in a oh. spectral memory of Diana. Oh, 100%. You know I was I mean? like, Elizabeth hated this woman. Which makes it more seem like she's haunting Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, that's her choice, you know? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I understand they wanted to put Diana and Elizabeth together because they didn't really have a ton of scenes together overall. Mm-hmm. They had some, but like— and certainly not this season. But a p- bit of punctuation. To recenter the show, basically Diana's like, I'm gone now, here's your show back. And she needed to have a moment. I will say, I found myself getting viscerally angry with the Queen this episode, being yeah. like, you're so fake. You you say you're the mother to the country, and right when the country needs you to step up and be the mother, you're now you, a grandmother. Like, I can see you like at a charity <laughs> event, shooing her out like in your housewife's dress. I was so <laughs> angry. I was really was actually upset on behalf of Diana, which is ridiculous. But I think the spectral presence of Diana talking to the queen, we needed that to see the shift in the queen's yeah. opinion and her giving Diana the funeral that she deserved. Mm-hmm. So while it felt a little weird and was a little clunky, and I think some of the writing on the show is a little paint-by-numbers and and. and overly clear. No, when she says, like, you have told us what it means to be British yes, for all like, these years. Okay. <laughs> you are an emblem of this country we are in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, ultimately it worked for me, but yeah, you took the words out A human mouth. being, but also a symbol. <laughs> <laughs> yes. what, an, what an interesting dichotomy for a television <laughs> show to explore. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you definitely are supposed to be mad at Elizabeth, and I think that this show has painted Elizabeth in complex tones over the years. This is a complex moment in her life where she really, frankly, fucked up, mm-hmm. you know, not saying anything for however long it was. It like, seems you so know. crazy to think back that that actually, that her, you know, ex-daughter-in-law, but still her her ex-daughter-in-law, the, the, mother, the mother of, of her, her grandchildren, yeah. yes. dies and she just doesn't do anything. Yeah. And yeah. she just stays in yeah. Scotland and, and doesn't. Goes to church like normal. Yeah. yeah, it was sort of foreshadowed and it was at episode one or two where she, I think it's episode one where she's like, well, Diana's learning what it's like to be outside. Right. Like, you know, and it's like, you're going to stick to those guns like through this? Like, it's crazy. And, and that it did take that long. I understand why there was a movie about it that won mm-hmm. Helen Mirren an Oscar. It, it is a fascinating bit of royals lore or whatever you want to call it, that, like, they were so... She, that Elizabeth herself was caught so flat-footed on this matter and just did not pay attention to 
Well, I guess, do you think that this episode argues that this whole Elizabeth, like, misstep was because she was still not accepting that Diana was more famous than all of them? No, I think it's more, I mean, I think according to the show, at least, it's just like, this is like private, like, right. yes, she is and not the in our family. requested that it be and, Exactly. Um, and which is also, you know, it's a, it's a softer take. It's, right. it's less harsh on her than if she were to say like, no, like she knows what she did. <laughs> I feel like it's, uh, so yeah. I see that, but I feel that while that is true, what you just said, Hillary, I do think there was definitely an element and maybe it's 40% that and 60%. Jealousy. I felt the queen, and Charles really sort of hammered this through, where it's like, we don't understand why everybody loves her, but everybody loves her, so we should do something big. They didn't see it as spectacle or exhibitionism. Diana gave people what they needed, even if it was just confirmation that great pain and sadness doesn't discriminate. It comes to those with beauty and privilege too, and they adored her for it. And the queen rejecting that and being stiff upper lip. And I will say Prince Philip also being like, we do things by the book. And then being this antiquated, you know, over the hill uh, royal couple, not recognizing Diana's power and not wanting to accept Diana's power over I the people. Wish that, I wish they had teased that out more, though. Like, you get, yeah. a, you get a tiny taste of it when, you know, she's talking to the ghost Diana mm-hmm. and she's like, oh, I hope you're happy now. Like, you finally— You like, got what su- you wanted. You succeeded. You ruined, you ruined everything. Like, she doesn't really get that much into it, though. It's just kind of that line. Yeah, yeah. I think that Charles line is fascinating, though, because, like, that to me is one of the most negative portrayals of this family that this show that this show has done is that these stuffy morons don't understand what was appealing about Lady Di. I <laughs> yeah. mean, come on. Yeah. About mo- this, like, beautiful, fun, <laughs> young, like, gorgeous. Like, like, cool person. Yeah. Loving. And, and Charles is like, yeah. but what, guys, but hey, all of Engli- the English public, what about Camilla here? And it's like, <laughs> you know, like, it's, the, it's I mean, like not, she's an ace horsewoman. <laughs> right, right. Like, exactly. It's just, I think that Diana uh, is, as long, uh, the way she functions narratively in this show, I'm not going to say that this is what how exactly she functions in real life, but on this show, she is this incredibly significant pivot point for this institution that they never really fully recovered from. Obviously, mm-hmm. we have they had hope for William, and, and I think he's popular. And Harry obviously has Fled committed an un, you know unforgivable <laughs> sin by you know marrying who he did. Mm-hmm. Um, but like D- Diana was it. it; she broke the wheel, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and I I, I kind of think irreparably. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, that is what the Queen is about, yeah. basically. And I think that the Queen kind of hits that. Harder yeah. than the show mm-hmm. did. Yeah, I think that the, if I, I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but my if memory serves me, the Queen is a lot flintier and sort of less sentimental, right? It's kind of like a process movie in a mm-hmm. way. I think, mm-hmm. yeah, with this brittle, unyielding, and eventually caving. Yeah, person well, and center. and yeah. Tony Blair is kind of playing the role that Prince Charles plays here. Right. Okay, right. because which it's makes Prince sense. Charles yeah. is you know weep city here, which makes perfect sense. But I do wonder, and I haven't seen the Queen, and I wasn't. Uh, you know, privy to these events, but, and I'm sure he was absolutely devastated, Mm -hmm. but the way that this episode portrayed his absolute abject uh, uh, grief, which I'm sure he felt, it it was a little uh, not at odds with their relationship in real life, and then, or their presumed relationship in real life, and all the bad times of him being like, I regret so much, I regret everything, which I'm sure... flirting with you. Yeah, they're like flirting again. Strange. I I, I loved confused. you so much. Thank you for how you were in the hospital. So raw, broken, and handsome. I'll take that with me. I think this show has never quite convinced me on whatever dynamic between Charles and Diana they've been trying to sell. I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. Well, and what's what's interesting also is uh, Dominic West said in an interview that, like, he did for Netflix uh, pre-strike that, you know, the originally when he was, like, mm-hmm. doing the scene where he's telling the boys about Diana, like, it's very physical and he's, like, uh, you know, comforting them and hugging them. And then they had to reshoot it because in Harry's memoir, he says that his father never hugged him when he told yeah. him. Just put his hand on his died. knee. Just put his hand on his knee and said, you're going to be okay. Oh, but really? Yeah. In this is an incredible detail. Incredible. In the TV show, wow. he puts his hand on his shoulder, mm-hmm. but right. they don't hug. But per Harry's account, he, they didn't. He did not hug Charles. Yeah. And but yeah, this this Charles seems a lot still more like touchy feely. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes the show and and just a sort of public imagination of these people 
uh, falls short because it's like we all forget these people are fucking space aliens. Like, <laughs> like a lot of them are anyway. Like, yep. they, they do not have normal ways of relating to one another. And I understand that this is television and we needed to have a big cry and a yell in the in the mountains of Scotland and mm-hmm. whatever but i think th- and i think the queen is closer to the truth of like no this was a pretty like cold affair they, yeah. they handled this very mechanically well when they started to handle it at all mm-hmm. and i think you know this show has been building this to this for you know seasons basically though so they had mm-hmm. to kind of go bigger than than maybe it was true yeah it worked for me i will say uh, i think we talked a lot last lo- episode about Muhammad and how they sort of made mm-hmm. him the villain of the story. And not that I think this episode made up for all of that, but I was uh, pleasantly surprised that Muhammad and the actor who plays him, Salim Da, got a lot of time and space yes. yep. in this episode and got to grieve and we got to see sort of the denouement, like him reckoning with all of the things that he did to have mm-hmm. not, if not caused this, but to have led to this tragic event. Um, whatever part he played. Whatever yeah. part that he played. And I, you know, when he was crying over Dodie's uh, body in the morgue. Mm-hmm. and Interesting they showed his body and, and that, not Diana's. I understand why, but like, it's a little bit like... It's well, a double just, standard. Maybe don't do <laughs> Yeah, don't do either. Don't, yeah, maybe, don't do either. Yeah, yeah, maybe we don't need to see either, yeah. Though, so yeah. he is amazing in that scene, mm-hmm. and I think that the sentiment when he's talking to, you know, this apparition or whatever you want to call it, this imagination of his son, and he's like, you're per- you were perfect. Mm-hmm. And it's like only with the horrible hindsight of death Could he, is he like, why did I waste all this time wanting him to be something instead of loving who he was? Mm-hmm. And like it's a corny sentiment maybe, but it's a true one. And I think that it's really nice after that the weird kind of earlier episodes of this season that were setting him up to k- give him that moment of sort of not like rending his clothes guilt, yeah. but just like a uh, – shit, you know, I, I should have been better to you and humanized him in a way that I, I was worried they would not. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And it's it's nice that, you know, Dodie is not forgotten. Like that he is totally. not just this, you know, right. historical also around. Yeah. And it's nice that they addressed how terrible the royal family was to the Fayyads oh, yeah, after that this they happened. Just, yeah. They just cut him ignored out completely, them. ignored him, sent back the plaque that he sent them. Yep. And I mean, it is... The tragedy of Muhammad is that he still, even after all this, he thought this was an event that would bring him closer to the royal family, that they would be brothers in grief. Right. He yeah. said that he would somehow be closer to being a royal or a, a, a British, British person yeah. or a white person or whatever you say. And then, I mean, it's all summed up in the line that he says to Ghost Doty, why do they hate me? Is it the fate of Arabs always to be hated by the West? And it's just that really sort of sums up his whole... It's a major problem <laughs> yeah. that he's coming to terms with the whole series, basically. Yeah, and Dodie says, like, you know, forget the West. Yeah, forget know? it. Like, And because he's being mourned all over the Arab world. And, you know, and I think that Mohammed looking at the newspapers and being like, you'd think one person died. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know? And that was very true at the time. And I think it's important that this show, as fudged or uneven as its car- portraiture might be, at least did make Dodie a palpable, and his father, palpable presences mm-hmm. narratively for multiple episodes. It wasn't just like a one-off thing. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that that is respectful in a way that, Pretty much no one was at the time. For yeah. sure. And, you know, and there's also still, like, it's not like Muhammad also, like, just learns his lesson at the end either. He's like, they were engaged. Like, he's still kind of clinging to that yeah. delusion, which mm-hmm. is, like, maybe sort of, like, the saddest part of it. Yeah. But I think, you know, I, I think that conversation about the West and, you know, what, like, is this the fate of Arabs, or you know, also does speak to a much bigger sort of matter of identity when it comes to post-colonial mm-hmm. England and all that stuff. And um, and one that's still going on. Yeah, you know, so very, very relevant, you know? very, yeah, to this mm-hmm. day, in a way that history has a tendency to repeat itself. It just felt political in a way that I didn't think the show would do, and I, I appreciate that. It might not have known that it was doing <laughs> at, the, right. at the time that it, right. that it happened. Also very possible, yeah. So we get, we get slightly more time with... The princes in this episode. Still not very yeah. much, mm-hmm. but I think that the show does have to kind of set them up if we're going to start following them next. Do you guys mm-hmm. think that, h- how did you feel about those scenes? You know, we see the recreation of the famous, uh, you know, scene of them walking behind the, the processional, coffin. Yeah. 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 I thought um, that William line. running away. Yeah, William going away. Oh, right, yeah. right. I thought that, that line about they're, they're not crying for her, they're crying for you. Mm-hmm. I thought that was sort of like, I don't, I don't know if that's really true, but like that's a sort of... 
a nice idea of something to say to a kid during that moment, I guess, kind of. Mm-hmm. But like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I think it's interesting because I don't really know anything about William and Harry's personalities beyond like little things I've read. I guess we know more about Harry, but William is such a blank for me yeah. that for for all I care, they can just invent a personality for, yeah. for this show. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, we, I don't. We haven't yet seen that emerge, but like they're going to switch actors, I'm assuming. Yeah, right? yeah they have like, to. They age them up. Right, yeah. But I, I think I'm ready. I mean, I thought it was going to be kind of weird. Like, maybe they should just never be on the show, you know, because <laughs> yeah. they're too present in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, but, no, I think they've built well toward it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will say, you know, seeing little Harry crying in the yeah. church and then writing the mummy letter mm-hmm. and putting that, it was really emotionally effective. And mm-hmm. you can see how... And with hindsight and knowing where their relationship is right now or reportedly how bad their relationship is right now, if you read the tabloids and read the news, it added like another layer of sadness to the whole proceedings. And William, I thought it was also really poignant and kind of like, ooh, like a line that struck me when William's like listening in on Charles talking to the queen and being like, you know what? He's the future king and he's shy, but he's sort of got to act like a king and step Mm -hmm. up right now, which is sort of the worst thing you could imagine hearing your father saying the day after your mom dies. But also that is a point that Charles is making that it might be fair. So I do think we spent enough time with them in this space where I don't feel like I know them, but I am now interested in them. And I would like to get to know them for the next six episodes. It Mm -hmm. does feel like Diana's death hastened something that was always going to happen for William, which is like, at a certain point, kid, your life is not your own. Yeah. We'll let you have a childhood, sort of. You still have to do some, you know. But then when Diana dies, it's like, okay, grow up immediately. Yeah. And, like, you have to, like, get ready to be, you know, know, a sort of public figure because uh, you're now in every photograph imaginable. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's it's too easy, I guess, to attribute, like, everything that's ever happened in, like, their lives right. to this, like, foundational moment, tragedy. Yeah. But, like, you watch and it's just like, wow, this was... So, so, yeah, I am curious. As somebody who was not very cognizant of, like, you know, the phenomenon that was Diana, did watching this make you feel like you kind of understand it more? Oh, I mean, the cuts to what I assume and were real footage yeah. of her mm-hmm. funeral with all of the flowers and the scores Just of thousands every of people packed, yeah. packed to the gills. And again, you hear about this. Like I mm-hmm. vaguely remember, you know, parents and people talking about it or referencing mm-hmm. it when I was getting older, but I didn't really experience it or live it. And seeing the outpouring of love and affection for this mm-hmm. one woman was really uh, moving and really did cement that she was something special and meant something special to the world that could not be contained yeah, by the royal family. Yeah, really felt like they knew her. That they knew her and, and that, that they loved her yeah. and that she cared about them yeah. in a way that, uh, and I'm not going to compare it to the Queen's death because there was a big outpouring for that too, but it's just different. It just seemed kind of different than mm-hmm. what we recently experienced. Yeah. I didn't realize, because I was reading about it uh, after watching this episode, I didn't realize that the term the people's princess was kind of coined only after she died. Oh, yeah, yeah, that Tony Blair yeah. made it up, which yeah. is nuts. I, yeah, because it, like, I hadn't realized that, and I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, it's kind of one of those things where, like, I think back to that Mad Men episode with the Kennedy assassination where it's like, I feel really bad for anyone who had a wedding, like, yeah. in yeah. a week after this happened. Is it, yeah. Do you like, remember where you were when you found yeah, out? Yeah, I was in a, a farmhouse in Rhode Island where I spent a lot of summers as a kid and uh, my parent, with my parents, and my mom woke me and my sister up when— she heard on the radio that Diana had been in an accident. And then the next morning, she informed us that she had died. And we just wow. had this, like, weird glum breakfast. And, like, my mom was crying. Yeah. And, like, I mean, my mom was good friends with her. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, my mom, you know, like, probably had never been to England at that point. And, like, mm-hmm. but but it just Your was, mom, Elton John. <laughs> yeah. Sure, David furnished, but okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I just, it was such a thing. And it was, in my memory, it was all anyone could talk about. I, we weren't back at school yet, but so I didn't, didn't have that experience like 9-11. But it was, I mean, I say 9-11, but kind of facetiously, but it actually was. No, it did feel that. that like, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I was at my friend Julia's birthday party. Yeah. Her birthday is on August 28th and she had a birthday party that weekend. Yeah. And yeah, she, she turned 10 and like, yeah, we were like, I don't remember if we were awake or if somebody woke us up, but like it was, it was big enough that it yeah. was, yeah, then that yeah. was all we talked about. I think she might have been 
at least top five most famous people I was aware of at that age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you have know? to imagine. Like ubiquitous. Like it was like her. The president. The president, <laughs> Oprah, and like two other people maybe. Yeah. But like she was pretty like enormous. Like Julia Roberts, yeah. Right. In a way yeah. that I didn't really even know that who really who Charles was. I didn't really yeah. know the dynamic of the relationship. I kind of think I Yeah, thought, I don't think I knew what she yeah. was princess <laughs> yeah. of. Right, but no, you exactly. just knew she was exactly. princess. She's just a princess. She's a princess. Yeah. yeah, she's Princess Di. She's Lady Di, whatever. Um, and my mom also obsessed with her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think women of that generation, it was mm. like, because like, you know, the wedding was on TV and that, I think it that was a really big deal and like, you know, Americans woke up really early to watch it. Um, cut to me having to watch William's wedding for work at like fucking five <laughs> yeah, in the morning being like, tough. what am I doing? Yeah. But, but I just, you know, that's all to say that will never happen with a royal again. I, yeah. I don't think. Well, will it ever happen with a person again? I will say something that I think the episode did capture that made me ultimately sad was when they're moving the casket in France and they're still paparazzi ever there's paparazzi mm-hmm. at the site when Muhammad goes to the crash site and there's paparazzi and people which is lovely while they're moving the casket but I was like gosh even in death she can't yeah. escape it well it's like yeah it's like somebody dies of lung cancer and someone's like handing out like cigarettes, cigarettes. it felt like that where it's like even uh, like let her rest but then that that but then it's also we're love. making this we're making this show <laughs> yes, like we the, Peter Morgan's not doing it exactly either. but yeah it went from a little bit feeling grotesque at the beginning of the episode sort of the mobs of people and the cameras and whatnot, to then when you get to the end and you see, you know, the people weeping in the streets outside of Buckingham Palace, it was like, whoa. Well, it drives home just how absurd and thoughtless it was for the for the queen not to do anything for so long. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, can you not hear outside? Like, this This is, I mean, obviously they were in Scotland and they couldn't hear it, but like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, metaphorically, like, come on, like, it not, it's not just this country even, it's the whole world and like... Um, for us to be so tight-lipped about it looks terrible yeah. and is harming the children in a way. And like, and yeah, you know. I mean, then that's a big, that's a big, uh, not even undercurrent. Like that is the subject of the movie, The Queen, which is like this could topple the monarchy like entirely. Legitimately, yeah. Um, and that's not really something that this episode gets into, maybe no. because it's so much the focus of the Queen. But yeah, well, they made the worst mistake they could have, which they took their most popular person and totally alienated her and shunned her and planted things her. about her in the press and. Yeah, and that was like that. That was not good. I mean, if you want to be really cynical about it, not good strategy. Not good PR. No, not like, good PR. Like they should. And then, and even after she died, where that's. I mean, again, to be really cynical, that's a layup. You say something public, you have yeah. a big funeral. Mm-hmm. That's a no-brainer. It and they couldn't seem, even do that. Yeah, doesn't. It, it doesn't seem difficult to understand why the public might want this. Yeah. Do right. uh, so. I've not seen the the crown. Does. Or the, Does it or this the, the Queen? Jesus yeah. Christ! Uh, <laughs> if you haven't seen the Crown, you've done a good job. Pretending. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, Never would have guessed. Does it include the Queen's big monologue where she's standing in front of the mm-hmm. windows and she's wearing all black and she gives that speech? I have, I'm assuming that speech must be word for word what she said. Yeah, that's that's uh, like you know very faithfully, very faithfully yeah. rendered. How did it play in? the queen versus the crown because Imelda Staunton, you know, she's doing great stuff, upper lip acting, and then mm-hmm. she has that moment that she's pretty reserved but keeps it together but then says, you know, gives that speech. And I don't want to be like, it was a little underwhelming, but again, I was already mad at her and then I was like, wait, you didn't even say Dodie's name. You didn't, you know, to the other people that died, that's like, okay, you didn't say Dodie's name. You didn't, like, yeah. are you kidding me? What, did it land more in the queen than the crown or am I being too critical um i don't remember that well to be honest but i i think imelda Staunton, as good as an actress as she is is doing a sort of like clock in clock out duty like okay mm-hmm. this is how you play queen, queen elizabeth at least on this show yeah and helen mirren was doing something a bit more like specific and, okay um you know did she have like an oscar scene like what was her scene what was the scene that like there's a phone call her? scene that really clinched it i don't really remember more than that and it's hard to yeah. go back and remember we the details. Maybe should, yeah, <laughs> yeah, i mean here's the, here's yeah. the thing it's not streaming for free right now oh, oh so well there. then so we're actually absolved. we're absolved i am shocked <laughs> to report that i really thought yeah. that it would be on netflix that seems like a no-brainer that seems like a again, missed opportunity again. yeah we should consult <laughs> tell, tell people what to do in moments of <laughs> royal related crisis <laughs> Still Watching will be back in just a moment. And when we return, a conversation with director of this episode, Christian Schwaho. And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? 
There is one suspect, her father the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There's five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically, I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Well, I guess we should get ready to queue up Elton John's Candle in the Wind. Princess Diana has died and the world has been plunged into mourning. As the characters of The Crown deal with their new reality, we track down someone to tell us what was going on behind the scenes. I got a chance to speak to director Christian Schwaho about putting these real-life events back on our screens. Here's our conversation. You directed episodes uh, two, three, and four. So what conversations did you have going into this batch of episodes with Peter Morgan? First of all, I directed the uh, divorce of Charles and Diana in season five. Mm-hmm. And I just loved working with Elizabeth the Biggie, who plays Diana, so much. And very early, I, I think everybody who worked on The Crown realized that this is a very special artistic collaboration between me and Elizabeth. So I was asked to come back for the final season very early. And then Elizabeth and I decided we want to complete Diana's journey together. Because most people don't know that from the moment where Dodie and Diana met until they died, it was only six weeks. And um, it was a great challenge to to have three episodes who kind of tell the story of their romance and their affection and all the tragedy that came after. And uh, we tried not to recreate every single bit that is um, recorded. We tried, especially with Peter, to find an interpretation of the events. And um, I hope or I think we, we, we managed pretty well. Yeah, it's it's a it's a really powerful batch of episodes. Um, yeah, I mean Elizabeth is really great in them. What what was it about her Diana that you think you responded to so well and that allowed you guys to work so well together? I think Diana is probably the most famous woman in the world even now. For so many people, she's a true hero, and the way Elizabeth approached her is um, not portraying her as a hero, but as a human being. So there are so many scenes where she didn't care if people would like her or not. And that's what I love about drama, to having, even though these people are so iconic, but why we love to watch them and to follow them is because they're human. And Diana, she had a great heart and she was a beautiful soul, but also she had her flaws and she um, had those moments of absolute loneliness. And Elizabeth always tried to find all these layers in every scene. And that was why it made it so beautiful to work with her. So was was there any conversation or discussion about showing the crash itself uh, on the series? There was. But I remember that very, very early, we decided we will never see the crash. We will never see Diana's dead body, even though on shooting days where I had, um, you know, there's a scene when, when Prince Charles comes into the hospital in Paris and sees Diana's dead body. We don't see it. He sees it. 
but Elizabeth Debicki was there on the day to be a partner for him. Very, so Dominic West is looking at her. Yeah, yeah, okay. and responding to her. And, and in order to get this truthful emotion, I asked Elizabeth to be there. But very, very early, we we decided we we don't want to exploit these dramatic events. We we have to tell the story, and we want to tell the story, but in the most respectful way. Is that also why we don't hear Charles and the Queen learning that Diana has died and him telling that to the princes as well? Absolutely, because um, for this episode, there are several moments where people hear the message. And again, we didn't want to exploit these moments. So that's why Peter decided actually very, very early uh, on uh, script stage to mute these moments. Of course, we, we, we shot them. I had these dialogues, mm-hmm. but the decision was made very, very early in the process that we um, observed these moments from a distance out of respect for the family, but also, yeah, not, not to exploit the, the drama that um, they all went through. Yeah, there are a lot of ways in which this episode, I think, kind of gets at the weight of that without us hearing it or, you know, directly seeing it. You know, there's uh, maybe a, there's a tiny bit of diegetic music at the very beginning of the episode. But after that, there's no soundtrack until kind of the news, until she she dies and the family learns. And then the opening credits was that also sort of a conscious decision for that reason, a similar reason? Of course. I mean, we have so many people working on the show and every decision is a conscious decision. Very often we we use music and we use kind of music with a big scale to to give the audience the um, the feeling that they're allowed to feel what they feel. But we don't use music in a way that we manipulate the audience. And especially in this episode, The Aftermath, we know that there's so much emotion, there's so much so much devastation. We always felt like we we don't need a big emotional score to tell the audience what they need to feel because we trust in the audience. They will get the feelings of the characters and they will have their own emotional journey. Was there any one scene in particular that you found most challenging from episode four? Actually, the whole episode was really challenging because there's not that much story. And that's not a criticism. It's There are so many scenes that give space for emotions and the response to Diana's death. The, the main storyline is the Queen not going to London to speak to the public. But that's not, you know, it's not, it's not a big drama. And I had to find a way that the audience doesn't kind of go dry or, or gets bored after 50 minutes um, of all that grief, if, mm-hmm. that, if, if that makes sense. And was, that, was, that was really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. And, to, and it's also and, material that I guess Peter Morgan explored in the movie The Queen, which maybe yeah. feels uh, how how would you compare these two so if, kind of uh, examinations uh, of that same material? So when Peter showed me the script the first time, we had this conversation that the story was already told before, and uh, then I decided not to watch his movie again. So it was a long long time ago that I saw it. And in between, I directed four other episodes of The Crown. So I decided, and I think Peter too, not to compare it, not to worry if there is any repetition. We made a new episode, and we we I think we we find a new we find a new way of telling the story. So um, I yeah, mm-hmm. the film was never a reference. This this episode does also have Diana's presence in a way that that story didn't. So I'm I'm curious when you first read the script for episode four and, you know, saw the conversation that Diana has with Charles and with the Queen and that Dodie has with his father after their deaths, how how did you how did you feel about those scenes? Were you how are you thinking about how to visually represent them? Yeah. We had we, we had many conversations about these scenes. Um and I totally got Peter's idea that it would be great to to have a moment uh, for the characters, but also for the audience, 
to see Diana again, not as a ghost, but as the memory of these people. So the way we approached it visually was to make these scenes as, I don't know if this is a word, if this is correct English, as unghostly <laughs> as possible. So as realistic. More, more realistic. Absolutely yeah. realistic. No, don't do, don't play any tricks. Don't do any, don't add any flavors to make it something bigger than life. Just treat her as a normal character. And Yes, filming them, thinking about them, I was worried. But the moment we were filming them, we all felt on set, this is absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Can you remember any specific directions you gave to Dominic or Elizabeth or Imelda when you were shooting those sequences? Um, I remember talking to Imelda about the scene where she meets Diana as her memory. I said to her, don't look at her. Don't look her in the eyes. And when you watch the scene, the queen never looks at Diana. And it feels mm -hmm. right. She's, Why did you think she wouldn't look at her? Because I felt it's already so strong that the queen allows this memory to take place and to have that conversation with Diana and to listen to her. But looking at her would go too far. Yeah, I guess she's not as attuned with her emotions, maybe, as, as Charles is. So they would react differently. Um, and, I, and I thought that it was really nice also that the episode makes room for Dodie and, and his father as well. Was that important to, you know, give them the death, the, the crash? Obviously, there, were, there was not just one person who died. And I think that, yeah, this episode gives uh, a nice moment to the other family as well. I, I can't judge on... Mohammed Al-Fayed. And it's it, it, it's not the point if I like him or if I find him sympathetic or not. But looking back at the material, looking back at the newspapers from then, it, it, it really, it, it honestly feels like there's one person who died. So Then he's a footnote or something. Yeah. This is what I loved about the script and a very, very early, probably the first draft of the script already had this big appearance of Mohammed and uh, gave a lot of gave a lot of space for his grief to show a very very different side of his character and um, give a lot of space for the audience to understand that no matter how he treated his son he loved him and uh, he cared about him and uh, shooting all these scenes you know like the the procedure in the mosque which actually which by the way, was the actual mosque in Regent's Park where it happened back then. And shooting the funeral, which happened at night in the dark, whereas everything what happened with Diana was in the spotlight, uh, felt very, very important to us. So where was production? Where were you in production um, when Queen Elizabeth died? The team was in Barcelona, And uh, when the Queen died, it was the day before my first shooting day on season six. So we were all ready to go. And then the Queen died and we, 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 we paused for a few days. Did her death change any of your approach to episodes that you directed? No. I feel, even though we, we, we show the Queen and the Crown always did that in a very ambivalent way, but there's there's always respect to her. So we all felt there's no need of changing anything. Um, and do you feel like, you know, that real world event had any impact on when you were shooting the actual funeral scene for Diana? Like uh, the uh, uh, there's, you know, that powerful moment with Philip and the princes walking. Um, I'm just curious kind of what the mood was when you were shooting that. No. I mean, shooting these three episodes was the longest shoot I've ever done in my career. How long did it did the three take all together? 80 shooting days. Oh my gosh. Um, that's longer than a lot of movies. That's that's wild. It's it was 80 days in Barcelona, Mallorca, 
Paris, London, Scotland. So you can add many, many traveling days. It was a shoot that felt like, oh my God, this is never going to end. But on almost every day, we were, we were followed by media. We were chased by paparazzis. Um, so there was a high pressure on these shooting days. And we, we had to read these stories in the newspapers, um, blaming us for not being respectful. And probably that made us be even more respectful because we, again, we never wanted to exploit the drama of the royal family. So I, I wouldn't say that Queen Elizabeth's death changed the way we worked or shot, but it probably it, it underlined the responsibility that we have for the audience. Yeah, I mean, that must have felt ironic also to be chased by the paparazzi and excoriated in the press when, you know, that is the subject of a lot of these episodes. You know, it's their job and I don't I don't want to go into the I don't want to blame them, but um so many times it felt like this is unreal because they found us everywhere. The actors and I we we, we try not to, to to care about it, but it's hard. It's hard to ignore it. I'm curious also about the the final shot of episode four, um where Queen Elizabeth is praying and there's, you know, no dialogue and she kind of looks over her shoulder. What uh, what were, what are you trying to convey with that? I mean, I guess it also comes from the script, not just from your direction, but um, I'm curious, what do, you, what do you think that final shot means? Did you feel like she might be looking for her memory of Diana, but it's, it's not there? It's, it, yeah, that's, that definitely crossed my mind since we do, you know, see her. You know, remembering Diana earlier. That's what I felt. That's that's yeah. what I told Imelda. Um, mm-hmm. And I never asked the actors what they actually thought in a, in a specific moment. But um, there's an ending of a chapter. But then it's not an ending because Diana um, is unforgotten. And I think mm-hmm. the Queen knows that in this specific moment. Still watching, we'll be back in just a moment. And when we return, we'll see what 90s artifacts made it into the time capsule this week. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham. And this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. I'm really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> And finally, this episode was definitely a bit of a downer and, like, very somber, but there were still a lot of 90s elements to it. So, you know, I'll go, Hillary, what 90s thing jumped out at you this episode? Um, I mean, it's it's got to be Prince Harry writing his card for Diana on a paperback copy of the first Harry Potter book. That was a little blink and you missed it. I was like, Out wait, in 1997, like, yeah. the timing, it works. That is really—that's crazy, because to me— it, in my head, I was like, oh, it came out when I was able to read it, like mm-hmm. four right. years, three years later. It just popped into existence when you were ready yeah, for it. Yeah, the minute that I was ready for it, yeah. but it was 97. It was, yeah, yeah, it was. And could you read in the year 1997? Ooh, if I was born in 93, let's say, <laughs> we're going to go, no. Not quite, no. <laughs> not, not Harry Potter <laughs> level. Uh, well, you yeah, know, I wasn't I wasn't aware of the Harry Potter books until like the third one came out, I think. Mm-hmm. But then I read them all and, you know, you know the rest is history. But yeah. yes, if you, if you were born in the late 80s, um, then you, you are this will strike a chord. Yeah. I was babysitting a kid and he had the first book 
And I was like, what's this? And his mom was like, oh, it's really good. It's this cute wizard story. And I was like, eh, whatever. And then like three years later, my mom weirdly got me all the first three books for Christmas and I devoured them and that was yeah. that. So, and that was the hit. That yeah, was we were all, I was a little late to that. I I, I did uh, appreciate Prince William having the disc man with the fuzzy headphones. Mm. I just think it's a better moping look than is like an ear. AirPods? Yeah. AirPods. You know, like those are so, they don't like. They're not moody. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like they're not moody. Like the headphones are like an accessory. Like yeah. They, you it's know. like I'm shutting the world out. Exactly. And so I want upset. you to see that I'm yeah. shutting you out. Sadly, I'm thinking of the meme of Kendall Roy from Succession sitting on the yacht with the headphones on. <laughs> right, <laughs> and exactly. that is exactly, and William was channeling that. Yeah. Um. So for me, you know, everyone's like, oh, you're so young, you're so young. I was born in the 90s. I was there for most of the 90s. I was mm-hmm. born September 1st, 1993. Um, you're younger than Jurassic Park, but okay. Yes, but <laughs> still was there, so. Not as young as The Lion King. Not as young as The Lion King. But when I saw Prince Harry playing a Game Boy, I was like, oh my God, I had that. Mm-hmm. I had a Game Boy. I used to play that all over. And, I mean, obviously, the the boys pouring themselves into their electronics to distract themselves from the horror that mm-hmm. surrounded them is so great. But I was like, oh my God, wait, like, what is it? Like, I had that. Like, I had a literal Game Boy, so that brought me back to a Mario, Mario days. Game Boys are good for sullen mm, distractions. Because you can just... Yeah, it's just, yeah. Lock in. angrily poke. Curl mm-hmm. up in a little ball. Shut the world yeah. down. <laughs> well, that does it for this episode of Still Watching. As ever, you can send us questions, concerns, anything else at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. We're still looking for Beanie Baby offers. Uh, you can find me at twi- well on X and Instagram at Rylas. I almost said Twitter. R-I-L-A-W-S. Uh, R-I-P Diana, R-I-P Twitter. And you can find me on Instagram and X at Christress. You can also find me at Hillabuster with two R's. This has been Still Watching from Vanity Fair. Our producer is Emily Elias, and we had production help from Peyton Hayes. We had technical assistance from Gabe Caroga and Jake Loomis. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer. Our theme music is by Alexis Quadrado. We'll be back in two weeks when part two of The Crown drops. Looking forward to seeing you then. The Run for Revoke is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowitz. Um, we should be the mayor of New York. We all support yeah, that. Yeah, we support that. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Nikki. Yes. It's been really great she being in this beautiful pink lover. room. All right, Asher, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K and a winter OK. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mal. And we're the hosts of The Run Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOK. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>